This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada, you can see the Montreal Canadiens facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Caden Primo getting the start for the Habs. Something I'd like to draw your attention to at sportsnet.ca. Eric Engel's latest piece on one of my favorite players, uh, quietly just so brilliant, uh, Nick Suzuki of the Montreal Canadiens. Eric's here for comment on that piece and everything in Montreal, whether it's trade deadline, the goalie market as well, and maybe a bigger picture look at uh, the entire division slash conference slash league. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, good. I want to get to your uh, really good piece on, on Nick Suzuki here. Just one of my favorite players to either watch or talk about or you know discuss. Um, but but really quickly, I am curious about you know trade deadline time here. Uh, it's not as if Kent Hughes is in the the middle of any of it. He has you know players that could be available. Uh, those players have terms. So I'm guessing right now for Kent Hughes, the pressure is pretty low to get anything done. Am I on base or off base there? Yeah, it's definitely pretty low. I don't think he feels like he needs to do anything and uh, might come to pass that he doesn't do anything. You know, like he look at the guys who are on expiring contracts, maybe Tanner Pearson. He's a reliable pro player, pro habits, Daryl Sutter raised, you know, everything you would expect from a player who played in that type of system. And he's been playing good hockey for the Canadians, but makes $3.25 million. And with the way the cap is jammed up and, two deals you see this week going on yeah. with 25% of the, the player's salary going over. That's, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not necessarily expecting him to move. And you look at the one name is David Savard. And, and obviously I think that'll continue to generate buzz because there's not a lot of players like him still available. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Montreal just doesn't have to do that. Like if they want to do it, if the price gets paid that they can't turn away from it i think you know ken hughes will will seriously consider that but you know he's just i don't know i don't know who's willing to pay that type of price if it comes down to that so yeah so uh, you're right i don't think the pressure is too high uh, David Savard, um, as you mentioned, one more year of term as well. Right shot defenseman, um, veteran player, no stranger to, to deadlines himself. Well, just sort of blue skying here, you know, all sort of under the umbrella of what we just saw Chris Tanev go for. Again, different players. Ilya Labushkin go for. Again, different players. Any idea what it would take to get David Savard away from the Montreal Canadiens? It's hard to pin an exact price on it. Like, and it also is based on the perception that I don't, I know, I understand what Calgary did and the deal that they made and why they made it when they made it with the player that, you know, he plays yeah. as hard as a guy like David Savard does. And the risk is there at any point, if you're not going to sit him out, that he could get hurt. And once you have a player that you like in the system, and clearly they do, you get it in. But, you know, I think if Conroy holds, he gets, he gets more out of Dallas. I can tell you this. You know, I don't think Dallas had anybody. You could go through plan B, C, D, and E. I don't think they held that player nearly as in high regard as they did Chris Tanev. So when you ask me about the price on David Savard, you know, you'd think it would automatically be less than what they paid for Tanev. But like you said, he's under contract for one more year. The Canadians have one retention slot. And if they save 50% of his contract and somebody else takes 25% of it, all yeah. of a sudden he's, he's a Stanley Cup winner at a, around a million dollars a year that you get two runs out of. So, you know, I think that's the way yeah. it, it looks. And, and one of the reasons you mentioned Kent not being under much pressure, like look at what he's done in the summer months over the last couple of years. It's like anybody who thinks he gets stuck, he, he manages to turn it into something pretty interesting. So we'll see where it all goes. I, I, I'd put it at 50-50 right now that he could move between now and the deadline, but we'll see what it is. Right. What about the goalie situation? Like we, we, they've 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 cast their lot with with Samuel Montembeau signing him to the uh, the three year contract extension. Uh, I think we're all wondering about Jake Allen. Like like right now, the, the the goalie market seems quieter than it's ever been. It doesn't look right now as if there's anything cooking with Jacob Markstrom. There has been before conversations, certainly with the New Jersey Devils. UC Saros is going nowhere. Uh, as long as the Nashville Predators in a playoffs are in a playoff spot, and they are, and they've just won seven games in a row, uh, I think we do wonder about Lena Solmark with the Boston Bruins. But you know, other than that, you know, the goalie market pretty quiet right now, considering how important that position is. Where is Kent Hughes at on one goalie specifically, Jake Allen? In same kind of mode he's in with David Savard. You know, like there is no urgency to move him. I know a lot of people look at the three goaltender situation in Montreal and say, well, 
It's not the best for Caden Primo who's starting tomorrow. Like Caden Primo, yeah. by the end of the season, you know, once we get past the deadline, he's going to play more. And he'll end up with a, a probably at least 20 starts this year. And if you'd have gone, gone to him at the beginning of the year and say, you're going to start 20 games in the NHL instead of 60 in the AHL, which would you prefer? He would have definitely told you the NHL at this point. So I don't think mm-hmm. it's, it's negative. Those three guys have handled it exceptionally well. Jake has been an, uh, an awesome pro, which is part of the reason there, are, there is a team or two that should be interested despite his numbers being down yeah. this season. But... You know, I don't think the price is exorbitant to get him either. Like, if somebody wants to take him at his full cap, which is a $3.8 million through next season, I think it would cost like a fifth mm-hmm. or fourth round pick at most. So, again, I don't see that being the case necessarily. There's not a lot of teams that can do that kind of thing. So, we'll see where it goes. But it, yeah. same kind of situation where the urgency isn't necessarily there. How would you describe this season? I mean, right now around trade deadline, um, it's it's pretty quiet, certainly. But how would you describe the entire year for the Montreal Canadiens so far? Like, if you look just at the standings and the stats and you see that they're almost exactly like the, the parallels between last season and this season are right there in the numbers, it, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a significant contrast in the way the games have gone themselves and how much closer they are, how much more competitive the Canadians are and how much more established they are in their actual system. Like they lost Kirby doc four periods into the season. I think it would have turned out pretty different. They were really competitive for a while. Sean Monaghan gets traded and then all of a sudden they drop, you know, quite a bit spiritually, but you know, they keep pushing like St. Louis has, a, you watched the game last night against Florida, which I think is really watching them. I'm so impressed with them. And speaking of some of the guys, they, they think they're, you know, there might not be a, a better team that they've played this year. I know early in the year they felt that way about LA. Like, yeah, they gave them a hell of a fight last night. It was a it was a really impressive game for a team that, you know, they they just don't have the guns to to keep up. So I think as long as that competitive drive remains there at the base, you see a lot of evolution in the way the Canadians have kind of bought into the way Marty St. Louis wants them to play and big factor in that is what I wrote about last night. It's just the commitment of Nick Suzuki to lead by example and his commitment to being a complete player and what it's doing for some of the younger players on this team. You know, that's, uh, let's use that as a jump off point to talk about your latest at sportsnet.ca about Nick Suzuki. Like, full stop, I've uh, going back to watching him in, in junior hockey, yes, I'm going to be that guy. Even before that, uh, watching him play, you know, uh, uh, minor hockey at the OHL Cup with London, like he was a, he was a force, like, and and he's always been, and he's always been one of those guys that you know admired Patrice Bergeron, wants to be the next version of Patrice Bergeron. Everything in the summer is like, you know, he works out with Ryan O'Reilly, like these are the types of guys that he wants to surround himself with. Where do you see Nick Suzuki's development right now? Uh, where is he at? I encourage people to read your piece at sportsnet.ca about him. And how close do you think Suzuki is to getting where he wants to be? It's a, that's a lot of questions rolled into one. And I don't know how <laughs> close he is in terms of where he'd like to be. He's definitely a lot closer than he was 100 games ago. You know, last time it was 351 mm-hmm. in the NHL. You usually say after 300, a guy, you got a pretty complete picture of what he is. And so does he himself. Like, it brings me back to the first interaction I ever had with Nick Suzuki when he came into rookie camp with the Canadians, and I, or it was training camp maybe, and I, I, I turned to him and I just said, you know, speaking of some scouts, they say, you know, like, you might not have the ability to play at 100 miles an hour. And he kind of said, yeah, well, like, because I didn't know if he had a bit of a screw you side to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know if he, he had that kind of, embattled like yeah i'll show them kind of side to him because he's so quiet and reserved mm-hmm. and humble and he was like well i don't need to play at 100 miles an hour he said i could pick up the pace when i want to but i don't need to go charging straight into a defenseman if i can go around them and i was it's like it was it was i'm, say, I'm saying this because it was a moment that kind of revealed what is in suzuki's character that yes he is humble canadian as they come and the perfect kind of figurehead to be a captain of the Montreal Canadiens. But one thing has been very clear for me to me from the start is that this guy knows how good he is and he constantly drives to be better. And I just you just yeah. see the evolution get to where it's gotten to and like he hasn't 
he's barely missed a game since he started in the league, so he gets there a little faster. And mm. at 24 years old, even with 350 games, I don't know. I don't know if this is the pinnacle of what we're going to see from him. And if it is, he's already turned into a star player. But I, I still think he could be a superstar. Like I, I, I think between now and when this conversation gets really interesting in the next year, his name is going to come up a lot more as we start talking about Team Canada. So I'd watch out for that. Hmm. You know, one of the um, one of the things that we were curious about when it comes to Montreal, and I want to go back and drill down on a couple more players here in a couple of seconds, is, you know, fans always say that they're fine with rebuilds until it takes more than a year or two years. Montreal is a very sophisticated and passionate fan base. Where does the fan base seem to be at this part of the Montreal Canadiens rebuild? Are we starting to see... You know, maybe sort of some cracks of frustration here. No, I don't think we're seeing that, but I think we are getting to a point where you have to see something really take shape like this summer, you know, like where there's going to be opportunity for right. for that to happen, right? Like there's been a lot of asset collection that's gotten them to a different phase of this thing. There's been a lot of growth, uh, even if it's not reflected in the numbers in terms of, you know, the core growing together, the the individual uh, advancement, you may not see it in Caulfield's numbers, but he's become a lot more of a complete player. Uh, Slavkovsky, obviously, at 19 years old, like, you just think about what he looks like now and what it means for their future. And, and Doc, who came into camp looking like it was going to be his best season and his breakout, like, I think no. just everybody's kind of sitting there saying, like, this might be the summer where you get one more piece up front and all of a sudden the Canadians go from having a really good top line to having two of them. And Alex mm-hmm. Newhook has come around despite interruption to a season with an injury. And I just think, you know, that's why Zegris is a name that continues to be talked about quite a bit in Montreal. And it's not just media driven. I think the fans who are quite educated and, and know kind of what to expect and see the opportunity with the amount of picks the Canadians have and the prospects they have in their system that you have an opportunity potentially to get an elite talent like that. They should be in the mix and should be in that conversation. So that's yeah to give you a pulse of it. Like, I think they just expect, you know, like this summer could be pivotal mm-hmm. in this whole process. Uh, real quick, uh, Eric, I've got about 30 seconds for this one. Probably not enough time, but here I go. Snapshot, Cole Caulfield, this season, go. Well, like, all of us followed, and I was talking about Marty Stanley, I'm going to have a piece on this later today, hopefully, but just on what we might be missing, like media-wise or fans or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. You know, he watches the game with a very different lens. He's wearing a pair of binoculars, and we're kind of all sitting in the bleachers, no matter how educated we are on the game and how informed we are in having the privilege of being around here. And I asked him yesterday, like, you know, is there, is there something we're missing? Like, do you ever look at, you know, he, he admitted himself, which was really interesting that he reads everything. He wants to know what's being said about his players. And that is part of his job to be able to tell the truth to his players and deal with their realities and help them through them. And, you know, Cole was the first name out of his mouth. Like you'll look at the goals and say, Oh, you know, like we thought 50 goals and where is it happening? And it's not happening. Like if you watch Cole away from the puck, and what's happening there and how much that has developed, he's just becoming a, a much better hockey player. The goals will always be there for this guy. He scored at every level, and they'll come back to a level people right. expect. But instead of being a 50-20 guy, he's going to probably be closer to a 35-40-40 to 40, 40 guy. And, uh, you know, and I mean 40 assists. Like, he's, he's just become so much more complete, yeah. and I think it's interesting. Still a dynamic player. Um, Eric, as always, thanks so much. I encourage people to read your latest sportsnet.ca about Nick Suzuki. We look forward to your next piece, hopefully later on today. You be good. Thanks Thank as you. always, Eric. Take care, Jeff. See ya. Eric Engels from sportsnet.ca. We got a hustle, but not before we get to the top of the hour. We remind you now, time for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Speaking of Montreal, it is the Habs and the Lightning. I mentioned Caden Primo gets a start tomorrow. Lightning minus one and a half. Montreal one and six straight up in their last seven games. Montreal one and five straight up in their last six games against Tampa Bay. The total has gone over in five of Montreal's last seven games against an opponent in the Atlantic Division. Tampa Bay 
are two and five straight up in their last seven games. Tampa Bay one and four straight up in their last five games at home. This is one of uh, a few Hockey Night in Canada games tomorrow that you'll get a chance to see. Like, look, we all understand the score when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens, as you just heard from Eric Engels. This is all about eyes for the future, but it will, build, blah, it will really be curious. Sorry, first day with the new tongue. It'll be really curious to see if there's a team that's out there that can pry David Savard away from the Montreal Canadiens. How many times have you heard so far this season, yeah, you know what, we're not interested in rentals. Yeah, we're not looking at rentals. We want someone with term. David Savard, veteran defenseman, right-hand shot. How many times you've heard that before? Probably available for the right price. We'll see if Kent Hughes gets frisky with David Savard come trade deadline of next Friday. In the meantime, should be a good game. Tampa, we'll see what they can do here. There's some that still maintain. It's not a lock for them in the playoffs. This is one of those games that they have to have. Uh, that was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Devin Dubna kicks off hour two in moments. Hey, it's Ailish Forafar. And I'm Justin Cuthbert. Join us as we discuss the most important sports stories of the day and tee up the biggest games of the night. It's the fan pregame, 6 p.m. weekdays on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Looking forward to talking to Devin Dubnik here in a couple of moments. Former NHL goaltender, now analyst on the NHL Network. Um, Just getting some notes about rumors about the Philadelphia Flyers and Sean Walker close to an extension. Uh, Just checked on the break. Uh, They're not close. Um... Not happening right now. That's not to say that it won't happen at some point, but as far as it being close right now, it is not. So, again, it's the time of year, right? It's the time of year. Um, So nothing right now between Sean Walker and the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay, not to say the Philadelphia Flyers aren't going to be a frisky team in the next couple of days, to say nothing about leading up until next Friday. And I don't think the Philadelphia Flyers want to leave things until next Friday either. I think we're very much wondering about Nick Sealer specifically, uh, Sean Walker too, although I think both sides probably understand where the other side is coming from. Can they bridge the gap? We shall see. Um, but tonight, and I mentioned this in the first hour, you never want to put too much, you know, you never, you never want to put um, too much into one game you know, unless it's something like this. So tonight there's three games going on around the NHL. Uh, the late game, you can make the argument, is like, okay, the Devils and the Anaheim Ducks, that's one the New Jersey Devils have to have. It's more important for the Devils than it is for the Anaheim Ducks. We all know the score with Anaheim. We saw Labushkin traded. Uh, I think we're all wondering about Sam Carrick as well and Adam Henrique. Um, Elliot mentioned them. Uh, sort of under the umbrella uh, or being points of interest for the Edmonton Oilers last week. Like We know the score for both those teams. They both know where they're at. Devils trying very much to get into a playoff spot, still have playoff aspirations. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, but that's where... That's where they're at right now. Anaheim's in full-on trade mode. Coyotes and the Ottawa Senators. Now, the Arizona Coyotes have lost 14 games in a row. Checks notes, that's bad. I think the franchise record is 15. Uh, Karel Vimelka is going to have to do everything he can to will this team not to extend that streak to 15 tonight. Uh, not that it changes not that it changes Arizona's plans vis-a-vis trade deadline. I still think all the conversations that they've had in the past continue now with all the players that we suspect uh, are uh, are available from the Arizona Coyotes. You know, Ottawa is interesting as well. You know, you wonder at what point, you know, the Ottawa Senators um, start to get active in the trade market and pull the trigger um, on trades. I think we wonder about Vlad Tarasenko very much. By the way, tough injury for Josh Norris again. Like, he's just one of those guys that, you know, can't seem to shake the hospital bracelet and you're always waiting for him and hoping for him to, you know, just get some some traction in the NHL and stay for an extended period of time. Too good a player there uh, to be down too long. But, you know, we wonder about Vlad Tarasenko. 
Uh, we wonder about Dominic Kubalik. I, I still do wonder if they're going to do anything with any of the blue liners here. Like, this is a team that has identified their core and has gone through the process, I think, at the same time of judging the value of what that core is on the open marketplace. Uh, and it'll be curious to see at what point Steve Steo starts to act on what his team is and what he wants his team to become. The intriguing game tonight is Philadelphia-Washington. 7 o'clock Eastern. This one looks like... This one will have a playoff-type feel and a playoff-type atmosphere. Why? Because you could look at it and say, this is Washington's season. Like right now, if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, you're saying to yourself, we could extinguish the Capitals as a threat for third in the Metropolitan with a regulation win tonight. The gap is six points between the two teams. Now, I know that Washington needs to jump over a few to get there, but nonetheless, the Islanders and the New Jersey Devils. But still, this one will have that if they lose, the general manager gets on the phone type vibe about it. And at which point we're going to start to hear about a lot of names. I would suspect that Anthony Mantha might be right up around the top. So on an expiring contract, Mantha's had a good season. What does he have for goals this year? Is it 16, 18? Let me do a quick check here on Anthony Mantha. Anthony Mantha this season has, this always makes for an entertaining show here, doing things on the internet live, 18 goals. 18 goals, 32 points. And, you know, the real big bit of business that I think, you know, some managers wanted to see about Anthony Mantha, and he doesn't do it very often, but he isn't shy about doing it. That fight against Nick Cousins last Saturday, I think, bought himself a lot of goodwill around the NHL and probably turned some teams' heads. That he still has that in him. Now, as people have told me, you know, do you want Anthony Mantha on a long-term contract? Maybe not. But as far as a show-me rental down the stretch, you know, can he do for a team, given that he can score, he has wonderful hands, and he's tough, and he's got great size, and he's not shy, can he do for your team what a player like Ivan Barbashev did last year for the, uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights? I think he'll be a top commodity come trade deadline time also we wonder about joel edmondson who is also on an expiring contract um he's a left shot not a right shot i know the right shots are at a premium right now i think we wonder about nick jensen as well that's a name um that elliot has mentioned a couple of different times in a couple of different places most notably toronto essentially what i'm saying here folks is this is long-winded way of saying capitals could be open for business at about quarter to 10 Eastern tonight, if things go horribly against the Philadelphia Flyers. So we shall see in this one. Uh, standing by for Devin Dubnik, uh, also coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Gord Stelic uh, about the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, the injury to Mark Giordano, the trade to Ilya Labushkin, and what could be up Brad Treliving's sleeve next as he looks to redo this team and keeping a full eye on the playoffs. By the way, Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday should be a good one. Already mentioned Toronto or, uh, Mont- or Montreal and Tampa. Toronto and the New York Rangers. Now, again, we've focused so much <laughs> over the past 10 days on Matt Rempe and the conversation of, wow, look what this kid is doing, turned into he really needs to stop doing this, and that is fighting. Um, you know, we saw Ryan Reeves with Liam O'Brien yesterday. Uh, warm himself up. Is that the, the warm-up fight before the big fight on Saturday? It's the big stage. It's Matt Rempe in town, the cult hero around the Rangers, six foot eight. Do we see that? I think a lot of people are saying for Matt Rempe's health, probably not. He did resist a temptation against Columbus, even if there was a temptation. I'm, I can't prove it, but I would imagine that Peter Laviolette would have put him under orders not to scrap. But nonetheless... This is a clash of two really good teams here, two high-end teams, two explosive teams, and two teams that are looking to do a lot of damage in the playoffs. And the New York Rangers 
and the Toronto Maple Leafs should be a really good game uh, tomorrow night. Rangers, uh, listen, when the Rangers are at their best, they are dynamic and so much fun to watch. And we've already seen how much damage Toronto can do quickly to a team. Vegas knows all about that from a couple of weeks ago. Not so much the game the other night. Uh, also, the lead game on Hockey Night in Canada, the Pittsburgh Penguins face off against the Calgary Flames. We all know the score for Calgary. And despite all of it, this will be the first game without Chris Tanev since the deal. You know, the Calgary Flames keep on winning. Tough loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins against the Seattle Kraken. Pittsburgh's still a team that, as much as we look at Jake Ensel and say, okay, we know what the score is there. We know what Kyle Dubas is probably going to end up doing, you know, provided that Dubas gets the price tag that he wants, which is, you know, probably the equivalent of two first-round picks, either the one pick in itself and another player high-end, not unlike the Claude Giroux deal or what the ask is for Noah Hannafin. But make no mistake about it, as much as we look at the Washington Capitals and say, you know, the swing is pretty big here between them uh, and the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins are feeling the same way. The difference is here, um, Sidney Crosby is literally willing his team or trying to will his team into the playoffs. Like, I look at the Hart Trophy race, and Crosby's in it. I look at the Hart Trophy race, and I see essentially three camps, okay? And this is all going to depend on how you as a voter, if you have a vote, um, how you determine worthiness for the Hart Trophy. The one camp... There is the Kucherovs and the McKinnons. By the way, Nathan McKinnon, welcome to the Century Club. Nathan McKinnon last night, fantastic. So there's there's the there's the the Kucherovs and the McKinnons, and maybe you can throw McDavid into that as well. Players that are just gonna try to plant the flag in their candidacy, candidacy by scoring a lot of points, right? Like that's flat out. Here's just a ton of points, and this is why we deserve the Hart Trophy. And then there's Austin Matthews, who scored again last night. Goal number 53, trending towards 75. And there are many who say, Elliot being the most recent, I'm sorry, you score 75 goals? I don't care what Kucherov and McKinnon do, Connor McDavid, you win the Hart Trophy. And then there's the other camp, and that is the Sidney Crosby camp. And the Sidney Crosby camp is essentially... When you look at the definition of the trophy, most valuable to his team, there's a lot of ways to do that. But if you look at the classic definition of it, is there anyone who's more valuable to their team with all due respect to the goals and the points? Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov, and Connor McDavid. Is there anyone single-handedly doing more for their team to get them into the postseason than Sidney Crosby? This is a large hill for the Penguins to climb. They've dug themselves into a deep, deep hole. And Crosby is trying to lug all of them out and carry them up to the top of the mountain almost single-handedly here. I know goals are really hard to get. (laughs) It's the hardest thing to do in hockey. Score goals. Ask anybody. What's the hardest thing to do in hockey? Uh, Get the puck off the boards as a winger? Uh, Nah. Retrievals on dump-ins for defensemen? Um, nah. Score goals. It's really hard to score goals. Austin Matthews scoring at will. With all due respect to that, with all due respect to the points, what Crosby is trying to do here with the Pittsburgh Penguins, to me, that is the classic definition of the Hart Trophy. It's going to be real tough if he can get the Penguins in. And again, tough loss last night against Seattle, 2 nothing. If he can get them in, going to be really tough not to vote for Sidney Crosby. So that's your Hockey Night in Canada matchups uh, tomorrow. All the action gets underway at 6.30 Eastern with your host, Ron McLean and Hockey Central. Okay, so a couple of things here. Um, I always love it when you see players playing out of position. You might be the same way. It's fun, right? Now, personally, I'm of the belief that the way this game is evolving um, – it's evolving towards positionless hockey. And you're only going to see positions set when there are face-offs. And after that, everybody just responds to the scenario that's in front of them. Now, I say this for a number of reasons. One, strategically it lines up. And two, the way that players train right now and the skill set that players have, there's so skill, so much skill set overlap between defenders and forwards, for example, that it just makes sense. But still, it's a, it's a novelty seeing a forward play 
defense, right? I mean, the classic historical case is Red Kelly, who won four Stanley Cups playing with the Detroit Red Wings as a defenseman, and then the move to Toronto, and he won four more Stanley Cups playing center. That's the most profound and successful player at these two very unique positions being successful at it. Um, Let me get to Mitch Marner here. You know, Marner was uh, fascinating last night with the uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, interesting game for the Maple Leafs. You know, Marner makes he yeah, made the great play to Matthew Nyes the between the, the between the legs pass. Um, absolutely gorgeous. But you know, also you know, Sheldon Keefe talking about you know how you know he was uh, he was going to go in there and play defense. Like he's been thinking about it for a while. Here's Mitch Marner on playing defense. Last night with the Maple Leafs. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just uh, going where I'm getting asked. So, um, you know, obviously it's uh, a bit of a learning curve back there for me, but uh, it's pretty easy with, with Tommy out there. He's, um, you know, got great gap, great stick. So for me, it's just trying to find plays and I guess kind of just do, uh, try not to make mistakes. Is that something you talk about before the game or in the game? Like, I'm ready, coach? Oh, I, I don't really say anything. Um, you know, obviously we've had some unfortunate D-man go down and some injuries that happened, and um, I don't know. It's uh, you know, like I said, I'm just kind of sitting on the bench, and then hear my name get called to go D. So I'm um, just kind of hop down there and you know just try to do the best I can. What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest challenge? Probably gap control. Just trying to figure out you know when to try to pinch on guys, try to you know be up in the play. And you know, like I said, obviously I'm, I'm quite new to it, so don't, don't want to try to give up a two-on-one or a breakaway and screw my D partner. So I'm um, just trying to be smart with the pucks and make plays in our D zone or through the neutral zone. Okay, so that's uh, Mitch Marner. The versatile Mitch Marner. Uh, Play wing, kill penalties, play power play, play the blue line. I don't know if he can play net. Marner e-bug, I don't know. I kind of miss, just as an aside, I kind of miss those days when we always had the uh, who would go in net from the team uh, if the backup goaltender went down. Now, you know, that universe has been clouded with e-bugs in every rank, and I understand it, and you know, a lot of people don't like it, and at times I really don't like it as well. The, there's only, the only time that I really don't like it is when it, the, the, the e-bug goes in just gratuitously just to give the kid a couple of minutes. It's a blowout game. Hey, let's pull out the goaltender and put the e-bug in there and give him a couple of minutes and essentially giving someone a fantasy camp. I don't mind it. It's not ideal, but I don't mind it when it's out of necessity and the starter is out and the backup is out and you have to do it out of necessity. I just don't like the, hey, here's a couple of free tickets to the NHL fantasy camp. Get in there. Not a huge fan of that. But nonetheless, I do miss the days where we wondered who the who the uh, who the player that was going to go on net would be. Like growing up, it was the greatest revelation. I'll talk to Gord Selig about this at the bottom of the hour. Growing up in uh, southwestern Ontario, the two main teams that I would watch would be the Buffalo Sabers and the legendary voice of Ted Darling. So with all due respect to the late Rick Jenneret, uh, the voice that I will still always associate with the Buffalo Sabers is the late Ted Darling. Um, and I would also watch the Toronto Maple Leafs. These are the two games, two teams that were most readily available uh, to young Jeffy. And I remember when someone told me that if um, uh, if the Maple Leafs were out of goaltenders or the two goaltenders got hurt for a game, Ian Turnbull was going to be the net minder that went in. And I always wondered to myself, oh, what would that look like? How would he do it? Would he? I remember thinking, as how dumb I was, and probably in some ways still am, would he even? Would he have to put on goalie pads? Would he have to go in right away and just stand in there as a defenseman? Would he put on a mask? Like you're a kid, you don't really think these things through. You just think that okay, Ian Turnbull's going to slide from the bench on the blue line all the way in nets. But I kind of do miss those days where position players went in. Um, I believe it was, and someone's going to correct me on this one. I believe the last position player to go in nets for any team would have been Jerry Topazzini, the Sudbury legend, which this would have been, I think, 1961 or 62 with the Boston Bruins. I want to say it was a game against the Chicago Blackhawks, and he went in for the last, I want to say, three or four. But he was the last position player uh, to go in. Now it's an e-bug world, and now who knows? You know, seems like Mitch Marta can do everything. Why not throw Mitch? Throw the pads on, Mitch. Uh, it'll help your contract negotiations. <laughs> we'll see what happens with Marner come come July 1st this offseason. Uh, we'll get into more Maple Leaf issues with Gord Selleck coming up at the bottom of the hour. 
In the meantime, um, you know, the Edmonton Oilers are one of the teams that we're all keeping an eye on for trade deadline uh, for a lot of the obvious reasons. And that is, one, they have Stanley Cup aspirations. And two, it's going to be interesting to see how they plug holes here and where they see uh, where they see fits. Now, we've talked a lot about Nick Dowd and, you know, Elliot mentioned in the first hour, and I think he's right, that they're going out of their way to as you like to say, nerf the world around Nick Dowd in Washington or bubble wrap him is how Elliot described it. Um, and you can understand why. Like players are being held out for, you know, trade deadline purposes. You know, Ilya Labushkin last night, you know, right before the game, he's being pulled out for, for trade deadline purposes. Um, I'm of the belief, although I don't think as of last check, the Buffalo Sabres have announced it or made it public, but I'm firmly of the belief that Eric Johnson is being held out for trade-related reasons. I know a lot of fans don't necessarily like it, but it's a reality of protecting assets. I get it. Some teams are open about it. Some teams uh, don't mind mentioning it and having that type of honesty with their fans. Others just say he can't play tonight due to illness. I sort of lean towards the just be honest with your fans you know, everybody can understand the situation that teams are in. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, that Eric Johnson is being held out for trade-related reasons. I don't think I'm shocking anybody by that statement. But Edmonton Edmonton has like a finite amount of money here. Uh, all things being equal right now, they have about a million dollars worth of cap space to play with at trade deadline. I know if you go to like Cap Friendly, Puckpedia, and you have a look at what it says for the for the deadline. It's like two point two or two point three million dollars. Um, that's because they're running really thin. That's because they're running really really thin, specifically on the back end. Uh, that'll change, and all of a sudden the two point three will turn into one, and that's the more accurate snapshot right now. Um, so Ken Holland yesterday in Edmonton. This is him commenting on trade deadline, and let's not forget too. As much as we celebrate and as much as we give the you know stick tap or you know doff the cap to Kelly McCrimmon last year for the Ivan Barbashev deal Ken Holland did a great bit of business with the Nashville Predators in bringing in Matthias Ekholm and that move is still paying dividend dividends to this day for Edmonton but some interesting comments from Holland yesterday in Edmonton about trade deadline here's what he said quote two years ago when we did the Brett Kulak deal I had no idea when I went to bed that night whether we're going to do the Kulak deal or not, Holland said. When I went to bed last year on Monday night, the trade deadline was on a Friday. I had no idea Tuesday we're going to pull the trigger on Matthias Ekholm. He went on, I can't tell you what's going to happen. What I can tell you is I have lots of irons in the fire. I've done lots of talking internally with my coaching staff. I've talked to Connor, that would be McDavid as captain, obviously, a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I talk to Oilers president Jeff Jackson every day. I'm either talking to other managers. Every day I'm also talking to other general managers on a regular basis. We tend to forget, you know, how quickly a lot of these deals can just sort of suddenly appear and suddenly come out of nowhere. Devin Dubnik from the NHL Network joins me now. Devin, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. So um, let's circle back on a couple of the latest trades here, uh, both with defensemen. You know, Chris Tandev is an interesting one. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he scored his first career NHL goal against you. Uh, what oh, did you geez, make of that's... this deal, Tandev going from Calgary? I'm sorry to bring up the bad memory. Uh, no, what, what, Paul, do you remember, do you remember do the this, shot, we... by the way? No, I don't. We we do this at NHL Network all the time. It's like who scored on like all the guests we have. It's like who scored on Dubnik and how many and when and <laughs> let's find a ball. <laughs> I do not remember. Well, the thing is, like he would have been. He you, you have been a great man, sense. Right? You have a good sense of humor. Uh, he would have been yeah. with Vancouver at that point. Uh, was he with? Yeah, he would have been. Obviously, he would have been yeah, Vancouver at that point for sure. Yeah. Um, what, what did you make of that trade? I mean, this is one that sort of in some ways has, you know, set the marketplace. Uh, and then we saw the Ilya Labushkin deal yesterday. We wait for Noah Hannafin and we wait for other defensemen to go to. But what did you make of the initial deal, either from the Dallas side or from the Calgary side? Well, I think it, I mean, it shows where Calgary's at. Um, I think they're, I don't think they're in a rebuild, but they're, they're in a retool and they need to start getting some assets as well and, and kind of see what direction 
they want to take that team with Craig Conroy being there. It's his, his team now. Um, and I, I love mm-hmm. it for Dallas. I mean, that gives them depth. And Dallas is a team that uh, thinks they can win, and rightly so. Um, they're certainly yeah. out there for, for, for teams that are capable of winning. And in order to win, you need depth. We've, I mean, we see it year after year after year. Uh, injuries happen all the time in the playoffs, and and uh, you just you need guys. And I mean, I'm not saying obviously he's going to be in the lineup, but and there's just a solid, mm-hmm. solid defensive defenseman um, that's going to bring just bolster that blue line um, because they, you know they got they got their offensive guys up there, and then he he comes back there and just solidifies it. So I thought it was a good deal for both sides. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, listen, uh, Stars fans haven't seen a a shot blocker like this since uh, the days of Craig, yeah. Craig Ludwig and those and those enormous shin pads. I mean, I, I'm yeah. curious, you know, when when you played, because goal, goalies are different. Some goalies are like, yeah, you want to jump down in front of that, go for it. Other goaltenders are like, get out of the way, let me see the shots. Uh, where were you at on on defensemen jumping down in front of in front of pucks? I was I was in between, so it was like if you know if there's a wrist shot like a light wrist shot from the point and you can like you can get it in your chest or get in front of it um great if it's low by your legs not so much because it's just harder for them mm-hmm. to do and um it, and then it, you know if it's if it's a grade a like in close then yeah i mean we're all trying to keep the puck out of the net so you're you're, you're selling out trying to do whatever you can so all day it's the kind of in-betweens right where guys are shooting from a spot that I don't think that they're going to score. And then all of a sudden that, that save that would have been routine all of a sudden becomes not routine. Um, sure. Cause they're, they're trying, they're trying to get in front of it and then they end up getting in your way. Uh, but some guys are, some guys that are really good at it. They understand also how to do it without, without screening the goalie. And so a, a big Part of that, if you think about it, is especially the angle shots, um, you know, down the wall or down the dot line, is as long as the guy doesn't let the player shoot to the far side, then and he positions himself well, then it's great. Right. Because I know I can look on the short side of him, and I know if I know he's not going to let mm-hmm. that puck go far side, because if he does, then I'm going to lose it at some point because it's going to have to cross his body. The best blockers who, who is the best allow that to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I and then it's easy for me. I'm just like I'm hanging out on the short side here. Who who is the best for you? I mean, listen, I always marvel. Like Tandem is one of them. You know, Ryan McDonough is you know remarkable. We think previous about players like Dan Girardi. Um, who is who is your favorite shot blocker in front of you? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. Yeah, think about that. Um, Suter was pretty good. Um, you know, Dumbo oh, yeah. was good as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Suits is tough as nails. But, um, yeah, Dumbo was good as well. And, and uh, you know, he cared. And, and he cared about trying to work with me as well. So, I mean, I feel bad not bringing other guys up. Because I'll tell you what, shot blocking is not a, not a thankful business. I, tell, I always tell these guys, I'm like, you think goalies are, you think goalies are crazy? You're the idiots getting in front of the puck when you you don't have the gear on for it. <laughs> I got the gear on at least. Well, there's a there's there's a there's a great story that that Todd Warner told me when he was playing in Germany. This would have been just before Christmas, and the sort of second wave of uh, of North American players came, and David Cooper was one of them. And Cooper always had like these tiny, tiny little shin pads that he played with. And Hans Zock would have been the coach, legendary old, you know, uh, old school, mean, you know, mean German coach. And uh, Cooper goes to skates up to center ice and the coach calls him over and says, like, what are those? And he says, "Uh, shin pads. He goes, no, 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 no. Go, go talk to the trainer and get bigger shin pads. He goes, why do I need bigger shin pads? And the coach says to block shots. And he looks around and says, what, you don't have a goalie on this team? We don't have goaltenders on this team. Like I always like it's 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 good. And you can imagine all the guys crack up, right? Like I I yeah, understand yeah. it, but man, every, every time I see it, I'm just thinking to myself, oh man, because everybody shoots now. Like yeah. how many times have you seen someone in front of you? Like it's on an ankle, uh, it's on the toe, 
Uh, it's just above yeah. the knee, and you say to yourself, well, look, oh, he's going to have a hobble to the bench. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the the Morgan Riley one the other night. I mean, you talk about yeah. like fearlessness. I, that was actually incre- I thought it was incredible the way he went into it, how he had his, like, hand mm-hmm. up. I don't, I don't know if it hit his hand, but, like, to protect his face, to be able to do that, like, on yeah. the spot, full speed like that was pretty impressive. But, I mean, you, yeah, like I said, you want to talk about someone fearless? Like that guy's going into that shot. Yeah. No, and there's not there's not a good outcome here. <laughs> you just you just hope to minimize hey. minimize the damage. Yeah, um, exactly. how, you know, I'm I'm cur- in the back of the head. Uh, just the worst. You know, one of the things that uh, that I've been most curious about, Devin, over the last little while here, as you know, listen, Nashville's tucked solid into a playoff spot, so UC Saros isn't going anywhere uh, right now despite the fact that New Jersey have had conversations with Calgary about Jacob Markstrom, it doesn't look like Markstrom's going anywhere right now. I think that Boston is exploring the, the, the goaltending market with Linus Allmark, but does, does the goalie market kind of feel quiet to you right now? It does. I think it's just a different tier now. Um, you know, everybody likes to talk about, about the big names, the Markstroms, the Soros, and, and uh, you know, that's kind yeah. of died down. Um, but I still think there's a market. We were talking uh, on the call earlier about a, you know, maybe a Charlie Lindgren or a Nedeljkovic, um, something like that, where it's not necessarily uh, the starter that you're looking for. You're looking for to solidify the position. Like I'm looking at the team, like, uh, and this is no offense to the backup goalies, but two teams I'm looking at are Edmonton and Colorado because these are two teams that yeah. – that certainly feel like they can win the Stanley Cup, and for good reason. And you know, it's it's no offense to um, is it Anunan? The is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, you, 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 yeah, Eustace Anunan. Eustace Anunan, yeah. And, and, and again, and then and, and Picker, and Picker's done great. He's been a big part of that that uh, kind of resurgence for Edmonton uh, when he comes in. He plays great, but. You know, is that who you want if if your goalie goes down? Like, do do you want Pickard as your starting goalie in the yeah. playoffs if Skinner gets hurt, and do you want a rookie in Anunan as your starting goalie if Georgiev gets hurt? And I mean, I don't know. I would say no. But again, mm-hmm. I don't like talking like negatively about goalies because those guys have done a great job. But if I'm a team that that yeah. thinks they can win this year, I don't know if I'm gonna like roll the dice on that and there's you know so there's those those b options available that would be that would be upgrades uh devin let me let me close with this one i'm gonna stick with goaltending as well on it um given how unique a position it is um i always wonder about goaltenders at deadline like does that give you enough time as a goalie to get acclimated, learn how the team plays, blue liner habits, etc. Like, essentially, what I'm saying is, is that the toughest position to bring into a team at trade deadline? Knowing that, you know, at that time of year, a lot of it is about rest. You don't have a lot of practice time. There's a lot of CBA days off, etc. Like, you just don't really have enough time to to bring a goalie really into the mix. Am I on base or off base with that? No, no, you're on base, um, and that's why I think, you know, you don't see you don't see a ton of teams like bringing a starting goalie in, you know, so it's different. It's different yeah. if you bring a guy in to, to be the, to solidify your backup position, because obviously, you know, he's yep. going to have more practice time and he's, and he's not going to be in as many games. And, and so he has more time to adjust. Um, you know, you don't see, you don't really see playoff teams trading for starting goalies because most teams aren't in a playoff spot. If they don't have a good starting goalie, there's so many good ones out there now. Um, right, and but like it doesn't always work. Like you remember Ryan Miller was a big trade going to St. Louis. Yep, and I mean that, Huge. that team played completely yep. different than what he had ever played. Yes. With. I mean they, those guys, those guys wanted to block every shot that came to the net. You know, and Millsy was was like he was he moved around a lot. He was a smooth. He was like a flow guy, and St. Louis was mm-hmm. like an end zone. We're gonna block everything, and I mean that didn't work at all. So, it, nope. yeah, it doesn't always – it's not always a perfect fit. 
Um, but I mean, I, I can't, I can't think of the last time we had like a, a, a playoff team trade for a starting goaltender. Yeah. It, do, it doesn't happen. Better than me, but I know as, you know, as, as much. Yeah. Cause you're a playoff no, team because you have a starting goaltender. <laughs> yeah. That's that's it's a great point. Listen, I'm 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 up against the clock here. Devin, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh continued success at NHL Network. Um that's a really interesting conversation, uh specifically about goaltenders and why we don't see a lot of the yeah. starters move at deadline. Uh, as much as we talk about Markstrom and Soros, etc. It is it is a rare bird. Um thanks as always. Yeah. Uh we'll check in soon. Awesome. Sounds great. There is Devin Dubnik from NHL Network, former uh, NHL goaltender. And, yeah, for matters of trivia, if you want to throw it around this weekend. Oh, yeah, that's the guy that Chris Tanev scored his first NHL goal on. Uh, we'll hit a break. Uh, we'll talk to Gord Stelic here coming up in a couple of moments uh, about the uh, Labushkin deal. And also, Brad Treliving, uh, just as we were talking there a few moments ago, Brad Treliving, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, saying he is open to trading the first-round pick that the Maple Leafs currently have. You know what? That winning streak sort of, I think, pushed the Maple Leafs into a whole different way of thinking to say nothing less of you never want to squander a season the likes of which you're seeing Austin Matthews have right now. So the Maple Leafs first round draft pick in play, according to Brad Treliving, Gordon Stella comments in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. I'm uh, going to welcome Gordon Stelic aboard here in a couple of moments. But as I was mentioning before the break there, uh, interesting comments by Toronto Maple Leafs general manager Brad Treliving and the Maple Leafs first-round draft pick. Have a listen. To me, and I know there's all, all sorts of talk, in the right deal, to me where our team's at, you, you'd want to help the team. I think you've got to be careful with first-round picks for short-term, you know, short-term help. As the manager, you also have to look at not just the next six weeks' lens, but you balance it, and uh, so we've we've tried to look at opportunities that could help our team using any and all capital we have available. Okay, interesting. Not sure that uh, Bradshaw Living would have spoken like that before the winning streak, but nonetheless, there are the Maple Leafs. So that will bring in Gord Stella. Gord, how are you today? I'm good today, Jeff. Uh, what do you make of uh, Brad Treliving, uh, the first-round draft pick, and using all available resources to help this team? This kind of feels like a kind of sea change, but I guess a winning streak will do that, and to say nothing of a player who's trending towards 75 goals. Well, I kind of like the – it sounds like a common-sense revolution to me because I'll tell you, 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 and like he said, hired guns, the currency of a first-round pick, no more for a hired gun. They've, uh, we've talked about it on your show, Jeff, about the last three years, and, and yeah. I was cool with it. Last year they swung for the fences, and that's great. But, you know, look at the Dallas Stars, for example. We, we know that great draft they had a few years ago when they've got Heiskanen, Ottinger, and Robertson in the first two rounds. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you look at this week, Stankoven, he scores his first career goal. It's Wyatt Johnston that gets the puck for him. First and second round picks from another draft. So, like, you've, you've got to keep the pump. Uh, prime. You've got to get the Matthew Nyes at entry level contracts, the 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 uh, the, the Joe Walls, all that. So I, I think you got to. I think you've got. You can do complimentary pieces like he did with Labushkin, Labushkin, but no more trading away first yeah. round picks. I mean that cupboard's already bare enough. You know that that's interesting that you bring up those two players for Dallas specifically because that was a, a trade they made with the Detroit Red Wings. Dallas moves back. Um, Sebastian Costa go the netminder goes to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, to your point, uh, Wyatt Johnston gets selected by the Dallas Stars in the first round. Second round they grab um, uh, Logan Stankoven, who you mentioned as well. And then right after Logan Stankoven, Dallas has another pick and they use it to take Artem Grishnikov, who they just right. traded 
for Chris Tanev, who may be the final piece in the puzzle, if they, if indeed they get there uh, to win the Stanley Cup. So just as a quick Dallas detour, like you mentioned the 2017 draft, that was a bonanza. They're going to dine out on that one for a long time. But 2021 uh, with Wyatt Johnston and uh, Logan Stankoven and a player they used to bring in Tanev, like this is kind of a master class on how you do it, right, Gord? Well, yeah, and you're talking late picks like late first round and late second round. And, and Jeff, yes. the one thing you, you talk about in the cap world is there's no limit what you spend on your staff, on your scouting. And that's something the Maple Leafs have trumpeted, and I respect, but you're not giving them a chance. Like you've got, you, you believe the best, deepest staff, you know, pro staff and amateur staff, but you're giving them no picks you know, to, to draft with. And that's something you see the Dallas scouts drafting late have been able to cultivate some gems. And I'm thinking, okay, this is where you put a lot of resources in. You know, you've the, the cover. I mean, what is it now? 2025, they're not going to pick till the fifth round. They've won one playoff round, yeah. you know, that, 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 so, so yeah. it just doesn't add up. So I'm just saying, give these scouts a chance to make the Matthew nice type pick again. Okay. You, you know, and also those guys come in on entry level contracts. So salary cap situation, it helps mitigate it big time. You got nothing coming in. You're stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you make of the Maple Leafs' performance last night? I'll get to the streak here in a couple of seconds, and I want to ask you about the uh, Labushkin deal as well. Um, uh, you know, front and center last night, first of all, we all hope for Mark Giordano's health and uh, and hope that he's okay after a, a really horrifying some smash into the boards last night uh, against the Coyotes. Head injury, never a good thing. We hope for a speedy recovery for Mark Giordano. But what did you make of... Mitch Marner specifically ushered into ushered into duty on the back end. Well, first of all, it's, it's a it, it speaks volumes about him being able to do it. And we're talking the NHL, like playing defense at the NHL level, and uh, <laughs> that's pretty critical. Uh, you know, incredible. It also speaks volumes exactly why a guy like Labushkin was traded for and probably somebody else just needing that kind of depth. I know there's others that are hopefully going to be back relatively soon. So. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's a neat novelty thing and great on Mitch to do it, but obviously that's not how you want to go in the playoffs. Even though I think years ago uh, when Carolina made it to the to the Stanley Cup final, they had Sammy Kapanen playing a little bit of defense, if I remember correctly. But anyway, yep. the but the game last night, Jeff, it was – it's the Leafs. Okay, finally they – I don't know why they had so much trouble against Arizona at home for so many years, but here they are. They're dispatching a team very handily like they should, up 3 nothing. And then you get the gaff taking a, a chance with a three nothing you really shouldn't, and yeah. you get the shorthanded goal against. You get the momentum change, and you, Joe Wall doesn't make some big saves. You bleeped away a game that you have no business bleeping away. And, and and in a lot of ways, it's the Leafs showing what they can do when they're humming, but also a big reason why they've lost playoff games and quite often in very unnecessary and disappointing fashion over the last number of years. Hmm. You know the um, the Austin Matthews phenomenon is 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 freakish. I mean, trending towards seventy five goals uh, right now, fifty three sort of fifty third last night. It just seems that you know every time the puck is on his stick, something is going to happen. I mean, you you go back with uh, with this hockey team longer than I do. Uh, can you remember anything? I mean, obviously, no one's scored you know seventy goals for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but as far as like a, a phenomenon and doing something that is just so head and shoulders above anybody else in the NHL. Can you recall on this team any moments where anyone distinguished themselves, you know, amongst their peer group, the likes of which Matthews is doing right now? You know, I mean, of course, we always say, look at like, say, a Borea Salming or a Bobby Orr, you know, just about the way these guys played in that. But I understand what you're saying. And, and you know, uh, uh, well, Daryl Siller has the one game. So you got a 10-point night. I mean, that's yep. one game only. But still, that that lives in infamy. Um, Rick Vibe, three fifty goal seasons, were pretty neat. Uh, not very good Leaf teams, but you know that yeah. that was something to accomplish not once but twice, but three times, and it and it gave a very positive diversion about what was going on. So otherwise, like whether it's Sundin, you know, Sittler, Clark, Gilmore, I mean, there just was a more of a completeness to their game kind of thing. There wasn't that you know kind of one like oh my god streak that's going on. This is like every every time every time Austin every time Austin Matthews gets the puck. You know what I think, Jeff? It's like when Wayne, when Wayne Gretzky was mm. new to the league and when he got the puck and you just said, aye, 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 and you just were glued to him. Austin yeah. Matthews has that kind of magnitude right now. 
It's it's remarkable what he's doing. Like I I, I sort of phrased it in in uh, this way. Like when it comes to the Hart Trophy Court, I see three different groups have emerged here. One, there's the pile up points group, and that's Kucherov and McKinnon. Um, there's the I'm going to take my team single handedly to the playoffs and pull them out of this hole, and that's Sidney Crosby. And then there's you know, doing the unthinkable and trending towards 75 goals, Austin Matthews. And it probably just comes down to how you feel how the trophy should be voted on. But, you know, given those three different scenarios, the pile-up points group, the team on the back group, and a, and a staggering amount of goals, like which like which way do you lean? If you're voting for the, for the Hart Trophy right now, of those three categories, which one is the most impressive to you? Well I, ha- well, I had been going on with McKinnon because he's sort of been the steadiest all year long. I mean, Colorado had that phenomenal start, right? But I got to say, the, do you just answered yeah. that. You just asked me the question. The most impressive is what Austin Matthews is doing. Now, he's already won a Hart Trophy, which is great. But I think right now my yep. vote has swung that way because, you know, you look at it's kind of like the gap in goals now, like Gretzky used to do with the second place person in points. Like when he got 212 points what the next guy got 130 yeah. it wasn't like the next guy got 208 and that's kind of what austin matthews has done as far as yeah. the goal scoring goes so jeff i've swung towards him uh the labushkin deal uh your thoughts on this one the maple leafs give up uh you know uh two two draft picks to get them uh there were other teams that were interested uh, i believe the dallas stars would have been one of them uh, there would have been other teams, certainly. Uh, your thoughts on the Labushkin deal? And uh, we should point out too that was not a knee jerk uh, to the Mark Giordano injury. This had been in conversation for quite some time. But as Elliot mentioned off the top of the program today, it sort of sped things along, Gord. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just would call it perfect because this is what I've. This has been my mantra all along. That last year the best deal was Luke Shen for a third round pick the way he played, particularly the way he played in the playoffs. So, And I, I like the way Labushkin played when he was here a few years ago. So th- this is exactly what he's got. There's no big splash this year. So in the playoffs, you can cut down to 4D. Uh, Chicago did that over those years. So, you know, you can sort of get by as far, far as a, a lack of depth in your decor. But also, look, Timothy Lilligren, when he's back, he seemed to have risen to the occasion the last little while. I mean, you know, get the most out of whoever's playing, kind of like, like what Luke Shen well, unexpectedly did last year. And of course there's the whole team concept and everything else. So it's understood. You don't have the depth of Dallas or Vegas on the D going in the mm-hmm. playoffs, but you know, this is, this is, this is your lot. And this is the way you're going to have to see the best you can do. Okay. Let me ask you something off the Maple Leaf page here in the, the couple of moments we have left. Uh, I've kind of been framing this Washington Philadelphia game as Washington season lose and the six point swing is now eight win and that swing is now all of a sudden four and they have two games in hand am i am i building this up too much to say that this is the washington capitals season tonight against the philadelphia flyers uh no no and it's kind of like last night jeff minnesota nashville you know and the way nashville won so dominantly i think you know it takes minnesota out of the picture it also hurts the other teams that are chasing you know nashville and the la kings in the west and I find this very similar. And it's not just Washington. You're talking about the Islanders and the Devils that are also chasing. The only, the only caveat is the Philadelphia Flyers, pretty well nobody, even themselves, were expecting to go to the playoffs to start of the season. So, you know, at some point, does maybe uh, this fall mm-hmm. from earth that everyone's been expecting and hasn't happened? Does that maybe happen? That would be the only caveat. But I, I put it in the same vein as last night's real bitter loss for the Minnesota Wild against Nashville. You know, if 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 it is a if it is a Washington loss, like we're going to be thinking about, you know, Anthony Mantha and Joel Edmondson and Nick Dowd, who they're really they're really trying to protect right now. He's he is injured. And they're trying to keep him, you know, nice and safe and 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 tradable come come next Friday. Um, which other teams do you look at right now and say? And maybe St. Louis is one that could be the obvious um, after that loss against the Oilers in overtime. Which teams do you look at right now and saying, you know, this weekend is going to determine whether they're in or out, or has that already been set? Well, it's funny because, you know, there, there's just all of a sudden a little bit of a gap this past week, right, Jeff, between the teams. It's not as crowded yeah. or as close. So it's kind of gone the way of the Toronto real estate market that too many buyers, no sellers, and now there's too many sellers, no buyers, yeah. right? And I, I don't know what the balance will be in the NHL, but you mentioned some of them. I mean, I also am intrigued about a guy like Columbus is going to be a seller, but an Ivan Provorov, for example. But the other teams jumping in the hunt, yeah. Washington obviously would be one of them. 
we always know Doug Armstrong would be aggressive with St. Louis. You know, they've done it, had a respectable season with all things happening. So um, that what you, you, you wonder, I think the Devils would have to look and say, okay, you know what? We've got a really good thing here, so we really can't tamper with it too much, and maybe the goalie can wait till the offseason in, in that regard. And then, of course, Philadelphia still, like, wow. Like, they're in the playoffs, and they're perceived as potential sellers. Do they become a buyer all of a sudden? You know, and, and, of course, Arizona. Yeah. Like, is, is there a diamond in the rough in that Coyote team we saw last night? Uh, I doubt it, but we shall see. Um, Gord, always full value. Uh, continue to success. Uh, we'll check in soon. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy Hockey Night in Canada. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Gord Selleck, um from NHL Network Radio, along with Scott Lachlan, uh, Morning Skate on Sirius XM Channel 91. Uh, we thank Gord for stopping by. Thank Devin Dubnik for stopping by. Eric Engels, uh, his latest piece on Nick Suzuki. Thanks to Eric for stopping by. And Elliot Friedman kicked it off from a high school hockey game. I uh, wonder how that one turned out. We'll get that update on Monday. So uh, a few things to remind you of. Uh, only three games going on around the NHL tonight and then tomorrow it is a full set of games including uh, a couple of biggies on hockey night in canada uh pittsburgh penguins facing off against the calgary flames it is the toronto maple leafs taking on the new york rangers the montreal canadians facing off against the tampa bay lightning ron mcclain is your host for all of it and is the host for hockey central your uh, pregame program for hockey night in canada that gets underway at 6 30 on sportsnet uh so thanks to our guests thanks to everyone who took part in the show uh today and this week as well our producer is David Sis. Our board op today, Tristan Marcagiani. Uh, Jen Rolnick handling all the TV uh, care for us. Thank you, Jen. You have the toughest job, as I always say, trying to make me and this set, my basement, look decent on Sportsnet 360. Uh, enjoy Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow, folks. Uh, back on the program Monday across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great hockey weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.